Good morning, heart and soul. So y'all know that our theme for the past several, past few years, has been adventure in faith. And this year, our specific, well, first of all, let me just acknowledge that we are indeed on an adventure in faith. Now, some of you, of course, are already thinking, I don't need you to tell me, Rev, because I can feel it everywhere around me, the confusion, how um, the limits to which I think there was a time that for many of us, we had a thought that things could only go so far. Well, I used to think that way. I don't know about y'all and let me not involve you in it. This idea, this notion that, that that's as bad as it's gonna get. You, and sometimes, unfortunately, we, we kind of, we create a little set mark for ourselves because we go, Who? Oh, okay, well that's as bad as it's gonna get. So I can take that. Do you see how we kind of set it like the frog in the water that's getting hotter and hotter, but we're, we're less and less aware of what we're going through? That, that's my sense. So, so we say that, that, oh, if it, you know, if it got this bad, I would do something, but it's so gradual. It's so gradual that we awaken each morning and the bar has been moved, but it hasn't been moved sufficiently that it's an upset, that it, that it rocks our world in such a way that we're like, okay. I used to say that I used to watch my mother and there was this, this physical expression that I discerned from her as her putting her foot down. You know, I, I think that, that very often we, a lot of y'all are like, yeah, we know that. That there's, it's nothing said. We could tell by the way my, we had hardwood floors and the way my mother walked. We could hear on approach and we already knew energetically whether to stay the, stay the course or to correct. Yes. So I feel like, in a sense, on our adventure in faith, we have been drugged, anesthetized, in a way where we are way more accepting of what we knew we would never be accepting of. There's no way that we would participate in all this foolishness. There's no way, except that it, it kind of snuck up on us. It was a little piece, and we're like, okay, but you better not do any more. And then it was like, well, okay, but you better not. Oh, oh, okay, well, you better, and pretty soon you're just like up against it, yes? My prayer is that there really is a spot where the line is drawn, and we decide, okay, everybody out the pool. That's as far as we're going with this. Because what? We know better. It's the mom and me. You know better than that. Everybody understands when you say it that way, right? Now, I know you know better. We truly do know better. We know there's something within us, that something, that one thing, that knows to trust divine guidance. And we've been kind of mixing it up. We've been all up in it, deciding how it should go and how much we can take and moving the mark. This, for me, is a reminder of what's ours to be, to do, and to have. And so I want to I begin and frankly, there, there, every now and then, there's a talk that I am to deliver that scares me. Because I don't know the because. Do you see, did you see that? Uh -huh. I don't have any idea why. It just does. 
what I would make up about it is that I haven't settled. I'm still in it. I haven't, I haven't settled on, you know, it's easy to, to share an idea when I know exactly what the idea is. And I know that I'm going to take like four steps and then voila, we're at the point. But right now it looks like a ledge that I could just drop off. And you just hear my voice like fading into the mirrors. So this is kind of that. So I want to begin with Revelations 21 and 1. And I saw new heavens and a new earth. For the former heavens and the former earth had departed, and the sea was no more. Now I want to start here because I think sometimes we have a sense that the new heaven and the new earth, which is the idea and the manifestation of the idea, it's the thought and it's the, 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 the mind and body, if you will, of, of life, of the creative process. <clears throat> Pardon me. <clears throat> so today I want to make clear that the, a new heaven and a new earth is never going to be forced upon us. You know, you're not going to awaken and just feel the pressure of the new heaven and new earth. You're going to have to go get it. You're really going to, you're required to take responsibility for thinking it into being, for creating the space for the new heaven and the new earth. See, I get us that we really are desirous of something different. I know this because we say it, and we think saying it is sufficient. I already said that, we say to each other. But saying it is insufficient. You must literally create a new heaven in you. I must create a new heaven in me in order to expect a new earth. A new, a different manifestation because what? It is done unto me as I believe. If I continue to believe what I've been believing, then that is my believing is my new heaven. That is, or it's the heaven. It's the idea. It's the ideal. The highest possibility that I can conceive of. That's what we're responsible for. And some of us are dragging it she said, just creating a little blank space for imagination to fill in. That the opportunity is for us to lift our thinking, open our hearts. This talk is for me. Because in this Gaza, con in the war in Gaza, what? I can see my fingerprints on it. Now, I've never been there. But I can see how my thinking somehow aligns with that possibility. Did, I don't think y'all understand what I'm talking about. That if, if I was consistent in my embrace of peace, no matter what, just like at the, at, at the cellular level of my being, that there are some things that w cannot happen in my world, on my personal planet, if you will, and likewise, the extension of that rippling out. Now, this is not me saying it's my fault. <clears throat> <clears throat> Pardon me. This is me saying, I can see how we're responsible. This is simply how life works. We think it into being. Our heaven manifests as our earth. Whatever that is. And to the extent that we think our heaven is separate, and better than somebody else's, and that there's somebody who can't get into our heaven, 
then we manifest that energetically. And it manifests in us and our, in our relationship with ourself and our relationship with the divine and in all relationships. There's a moment in this teaching for the advanced student where one might realize that there is no other. Now, it's an advanced teaching. It's an advanced concept because you know the difference between you and the other person. Y'all are wearing something different. You know, even if you're a twin, the twin can tell themselves from their twin. And so it's a concept that the world challenges. I mean, you really have to be dedicated to it. You, you must be complete and focused, laser focused in your acceptance that there really is no other. And that every time I see another and I'm able to, would you understand if I said other than? That is to say that I see them, and so I'm either including them, pulling them in, and that doesn't mean being best friends or being inauthentic. It, it means that there's a space in your heart-mind where you recognize them as the divine. And that that's the beginning of however you hold them, is you recognize the God in them. Now, in all honesty, that's not likely to happen before you can recognize the God in you. So sometimes, science of mind, religious science, gets a bad rap because it looks like it's just about me. That all those first classes, because we got to get you straight. I got to get the you in me straight. Does it make sense if I say it that way? I got to get it straight because until I get to a point where I see God in me, then the likelihood that I'm going to see it outside of me is between, as my mama would say, nil and none. <laughs> Not happening. And so our opportunity, because we do intend on it happening, what I, wanna, what I want to say today is that there is still, as always, an opportunity to embrace a new heaven and a new earth. When, no matter what we're looking out at, no matter what appearance we think we see, we are, first of all, oh, that's for next week. I can't even. Um, okay, I'm just going to say this little part. We don't even know what we see. We're going to talk about that next week. <laughs> All right, so look, for right now, we are just, we are going to take responsibility for our faith. Here's what Ernest Holmes says. Not only must we have complete faith in spirit and its ability to know and do. See, because we're not doing this. This isn't us doing unless we insist upon doing, and we have. But at the point that we let go, we're not letting go like giving up letting go. We're finally like, okay, I'm going to let something else happen because I see how I've been messing it up. It's that kind of letting go. Yes? I see how, you know, let me let a real cook in here. Let me, let me pay somebody to do the cleaning because I see that mine is insufficient. This is, this is that kind of let go where, where we up-level rather than give up in despair. Yes? Even though I'm not clear that it matters how you give it up, but let me just stay with my idea here. Ernest Holmes goes on to say, we must have complete confidence in our approach to it with a capital I, and a, our, our approach to it. How are we interacting with the divine? What do we think we know? How am I embracing? What am I believing can happen? I have a sense that we come in, we sing the songs, we affirm the affirmations, we get all up in it, we don't believe none of that. 
none of that, but it sounds good. Just rolls off the tongue, hits the ear in just the right way. The challenge is we don't believe it. And the reason I know is because if we, and we always includes the one speaking, if we believed it, we'd be living in a different world. God is all there for us. We just, it must not be though. Think about your morning. Think about some of the thoughts you're having right now. God, is God really all there is? Or is there God in you and your program? God in you and your opinions. God in you and your problems. Because they're separate and apart from. And sometimes we allow the problems to identify us, to form us. They become, we allow them to be, we hold them as what we are. Who we are, who would you be without your problems? I have a sense that I kind of want to hang out with a group of folks who want to find out. Who and how can I be without my problems? Without even a concept of that. Who would I be? How would I? Ooh, wee. Yeah, nothing to complain about. Not because I'm above complaining, but because there really is nothing to complain about. Yeah? I'm just saying. He says we must not be lukewarm. Ooh, sorry. He says we must not be lukewarm in our conviction. You know, you got to be in and out. In or out, I'm sorry. And we must know that we know. Yes? We, okay, that's two or three, y'all. We must know that we know. The responsibility for knowing and knowing that you know is on you. And that changes your whole game, doesn't it? That changes the energy of everything when you know that you know what? You step in a different way. There's a confidence. There's an absolute knowing. Nobody can tell you you don't know that. See, that's a different God is all there is. You stand different. You speak different. You take on situations and circumstances in an entirely different way. What? God is all there is. You better get on away from me. You messing up my vibe. With just the appearance of this mess. What is that? Yes? Okay, I'm trying to work with y'all. Y'all making this a little harder than I had intended. Look here. Ernest Holmes says that faith is built up from belief. What are we believing about ourselves and about God? Made up of acceptance. To what degree are we accepting of that truth? So first you discern, well, you know, this is what I believe about God. And then this is what I believe. Of, but are you accepting that? Reverend Amon tried to talk to us about that. Yeah. That, there's, that there's a whole different experience of the degree and extent to which we it is a part of us. This acceptance is not passing. This is like where it's part of our cellular structure. It's a part of who I am. You cannot separate me from my acceptance of the divine that I am, from my knowing of my whole perfect and complete nature. In front of the surgeon, in front of the nurse practitioner, in front of the mammogram technician. You understand what I'm saying? Can we really, can we, do we really know? Or is it only when we not at the, or, or the only place we don't know is at the hospital, in the doctor's office, at the clinic, at the lab? Can we know under every circumstance, every challenge, Sometimes I like to think of them as pop quizzes. Yeah. My last little mammogram, when they have you stay. 
That used to be like a whole thing. Some of y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Let me just make it plain. So you go for your, your little annual mammogram where they, you know, squish you and trying to get all the little info for your, you know, tissues. And what I've learned over time is that there was a point in my life when they were like, okay, you're done and you go on home. And that'd be the end of that for another year. And then I got to a point where they were like, okay, we're going to check it. And the longer they took, early on, the more nervous I got. Well, that's not true. It wasn't until the first time when they wanted a little biopsy. After that, when I began to try to read the room, if you will, the energy of it. And so I began to notice, and I was like, okay, they don't come back with either they're going to do it again or they're going to want a biopsy or something. And then I decided that this wasn't really supporting the life I wanted to live. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to call this a pop quiz. You remember back then. That was the you walk in and you'd be like, everything, business as usual, and then, woo, pop quiz. So it stops you, yeah? But it's an opportunity to truly discern if you really know what you said you know. You better ask somebody, y'all. See, when that became, when mammogram time became a pop quiz for me, it was like, okay, Andrea, I'm going to watch you now with your ministerial self. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we getting ready to see how you going to act up in here in the little mammogram clinic with that, all that, the machinery. And just so you know, you, you half naked too, which is a very vulnerable position to be in. So with all, you know, it's set up for the ideal pop quiz. So now it's how you like me now. I'm going to see how you do, Andrea. I'm watching you. Go on in there and see. And so now I'm beginning to see the power that I have when I surrender to it. However, and I'm at choice. So I can show out at any point, acting like I don't know what I know and be afraid, I can remember when, I can recall people who, or I can be willing to, in that moment, know something more than I could ever have known before. It's up to me. And I don't always get an A on the pop quiz, but I always live to get another. And to be aware that it is but a pop quiz. And that it's up to me because I can watch the shift. When I shift my energy, my life shifts. Sometimes I can't hold the charge. Or maybe I can, I just don't. I know that I don't always hold the charge for the full whatever, but I'm be getting better and better at discerning that it's me and that I have the option. Does that make sense? So Ernest Holmes is saying that faith is built up from belief, acceptance, and trust. I have come to say to me, I'm just going with the one that brung me. When I can't think of nothing else, I'm saying, well, I'm just going to go with the one that brung me. And I know how I got here. Every birth is divine, regardless of circumstances and details. So how about if I just go with that? How about if I just go with the knower? That's just me. So how do we continue to know peace in the midst of war? Ernest Holmes offers this. He says, the promise that comes from practicing a conscious sense of union with the divine is a deep abiding peace, even in the midst of personal or planetary challenges. We have work to do. And our work is not just sitting up watching the pundits and listening to folks who have a vested interest. Look, one of my favorite viewing opportunities, because it's light, it's easy, HGTV. I'm not recommending it. I ain't selling nothing about it. I'm simply saying that it's a little respite for me. So when I, like, I might decide that I am, you know, having a snack, taking a break, and I'll think, what might, 
I'll watch some HDTV because it doesn't matter when I cut it off. I don't know those people. I'm not invested on what they pick and all. But here's something. And besides that, I'm usually learning something about balance and decor and aesthetics and so forth. So look, here's what I noticed, though. <laughs> and I know y'all probably noticed this long time ago. It just came to me. It's how they keep a little conflict going. And I thought, well, is there nobody who has a friend that has their same taste? Do they all have to be in conflict over what style home and how many rooms and what needs to happen? And then I thought, oh, Andrea, this is, this is stage. There's no way. They had to skip certain people to go with the one or have the one they take and pretend like they don't agree. And I thought, this is where we have come. This is how far afield we have gone. Gone That even in people's little house hunting, they have to create some conflict. We are so invested in othering. We are so invested in right and wrong and right and left and up and down that even in trying to talk about the tile in the bathroom, that you got the folks at odds. Now, I was a late bloomer. I came to this late. I've been watching a while. But, and I just thought, now, wait just dang minute. Oh, they all is, and I thought, it's a sign of what we have created. I'm mature, and yet I'm not that old that I cannot recall a time when that never would have flown. We never could have had that. Now, I'm not inviting that back, because that time had a lot of other stuff in it that I'm not interested in even talking about today. We're going to say that for black history. <laughs> but when did we decide that conflict about everything was what we wanted served up. And I realized that kind of like the frog in the pot of water, how I've acclimated to it. I can almost anticipate he ain't gonna like that. Now, of course, when they end up in the house that he insisted he didn't like, and he's happy about it, that's what gave it away finally to me. I thought, well, now wait just a minute. What they all have in common is that when they end up in the house, that now they, hmm. I'm a little slow, but when I get it, I got it. And so this is us. They serve us what we'll eat. It is served to us because we'll gobble it up. And there's something about our sensibilities that gets affected affected, I'm sorry, that gets affected in a way that is not helpful for us when our intention is to trust divine guidance. Yeah? I don't know. Look at here. In guidance for a spiritual journey for today, Dr. Daniel Morgan founder of Guidance, Church of Religious Science, the late Dr. Daniel Morgan, founder of Guidance, Church of Religious Science, entitles his message for today in the Daily Read, Working from the Center. He says, the modern world longs for unity, yet remains divided, even in its house hunting. He says, even so, there are not as many divisions among nations of the world as there are to be found with individuals. Now, that can stump you if you don't realize that the world is simply a lot of individuals, that there's no way for the world to appear in some unique way that is not a mirror reflection of how we are. This is why the cleanup it's not, you don't have to get on a plane or a boat. The cleanup is in the mirror. 
That's where the real work is. He says that the reason for this is that we are more anxious that we fear the truth be preserved than we are that it be revealed. When our real work is to reveal the truth, not to be in fear of what it is. So I think what he's saying, at least for this particular application of it, is that in the moment we are so busy guarding our unique province, our opinion, that we guard it so jealously that we make that our truth. What I believe about them because I know two or three thems, and so I'm just going to let those two or three color my entire perception of whatever country from which their, their ancestors may have come. Do you understand just how weak and flimsy the idea can be? As we, as we build our kit for othering. So that becomes our truth, that they are whatever. Because I once was in school, in third grade, there was a girl who was that. And so ever since then, <laughs> I've decided that all that is that. We got work to do, y'all. We got work to do to like clean this up so that we can be available for the greater truth. He says we emphasize the things that divide instead of the things that unite. I had an experience where somebody so, someone's behavior so upset me, hurt me. I was just out of, I went crazy, I would say, in my own defense. And what as long as I could, the only reason, let me say, that I could stay in that state of upset about, well, see, now I'm, I'm, now I'm questioning my words. I was going to say about what happened. And in truth, I'm not clear what happened because I understand that I have a scotoma and the stuff that happens on my planet, I have already sorted it out and judged it and carried on. So it may not have even happened the way I'm thinking it's happened, but something happened. And I labeled it something, and but I had to keep, this is what he's saying. When we emphasize, I had to be dedicated to emphasize what was wrong in order to hold on to that upset. Now imagine that. Well, we don't even have to imagine it. But I'm simply going to say now multiply that out into the world. Because I see the heads nodding, so you know we do this. And we're like, oh, no, don't interrupt me because I'm just getting clear about why I don't like them. <laughs> you know, I, you almost blew it because I almost lost my place. I might have accidentally liked them or something. <laughs> and Lord knows we don't want that to happen because let me just get back to, okay. Oh, that was close. Yeah. So rather than, rather than, he says, this, we emphasize the things that divide instead of the things that unite. And it wasn't ignorance on my part. I should be embarrassed to say to you out loud that it was intentional. There was something in about me that wanted to hold on to it. At the time, it felt like it would be protective. It could insulate me from further hurt. That if I messed up and forgot how hurt I was, I could end up vulnerable and at the effect available to further hurt from a herder. Because I would already labeled a person a herder, one who hurts. And then it begs the question, how'd you get in relationship with a herder? Well, they wasn't hurting all the time. But once they did, I recognized who it was. Now, y'all can recognize, you can laugh out loud, it's okay, because I know how ridiculous it is now. But then, it made way more sense. 
way more sense. I felt like I could have testified under oath to this truth. But isn't that what Ernest Holmes was talking about? Like, which truth are you on? Just what truth are you committed to? Well, it depends on when they catch you, right? Look at here. If we, if we were more concerned to reveal the truth we see, we wouldn't have to defend it. You wouldn't have anything that you have to defend. Ooh, this is some deep stuff right here. Come on, Dr. Dan. He says we can no more destroy God's truth than we can destroy God's stars. Oh, I'm going to need you to rock with that a little bit. We can no more destroy God's truth than we can destroy God's stars. This is where we just give way to it. Says we can't even defend God's truth. We're only equipped to reveal it. You on the wrong team trying to prove stuff. No, that's not your job. Your job is to reveal the truth. Oh, Lord, this is a hard teaching right here. I understand the disciples speaking to the master teacher, Yeshua, to the world ultimately came to call Jesus, that this is a hard teaching because I've been doing something else. And so you're like changing the game entirely? Yeah, pretty much. Dr. Dan says to work from the center is conducive to higher development and growth. To work from the center is to promote increase and development in all the qualities and powers of the personality. Whatever I'm to be and do, I see it clearly. My prayer is that whenever you're at heart and soul, that whatever your experience is, be it a class or a session or a service, that upon exiting, that that's a part of your, your energy and awareness, that whatever I'm to be and do, I see it clear that something has happened within you because I'm not doing nothing but talking. So the work is being done within you. You're doing the work. You're taking an idea. Even, <clears throat> pardon me, you have no idea how many times I come across people who are so grateful for the transformation in their life that they attribute to me and they tell me something I said that I don't have no knowledge about that. I'm not clear I ever said it. And sometimes I wonder if I did, why? But what I have come to know after all of this time is that you hear what you need to hear. It really doesn't matter what I say on a certain level. You hear what is there for you. So there's an opportunity for us in expanding our our awareness, that's what we're really doing. We're expanding our awareness. And so I knew <clears throat> that when, when, hmm, come on, Andrea. Okay. So my challenge is, was, my challenge was that in coming to this, the war in Gaza, it didn't like just happen, just. So many, many of us, all of us had some opinion. Some, we were, <clears throat> pardon me. <clears throat> <clears throat> Excuse me. We had weighed in on the politics and the, the socio-cultural aspects of things, and we had our and so I was, and then I was like, "What are you doing? What are you doing? I need to get me clear. Look at here. There is Rick and Patel who wrote this blog, The Road to Hell is Paved with Selected 
empathy. Lord, I'm just glad he didn't put my name in it. Have you ever, you read something sometime and you're like, oh, are they going to name me? Is my photo going to be at the end? You know how a piece will have a picture. You're like, please don't put my picture in it. Because there's an aspect of us where we are, and empathy, of course, is our ability to understand and feel. So it's, it's emotional. It's can you feel for others in a way where you can put yourself, imagine yourself in their situation, and it has a kindness, a compassionate sense to it. So it's not just feel it and then shake your finger at them. It's instead this sense of, oh, I see how that could be. And so what he's saying to us is that our work, there, he starts out by saying how struck he has been over the few perspectives offered in our mass media and social media that truly empathize with both Israelis and Palestinians. It's a paradox for us to somehow expand our consciousness in such a way where we can simply hold humanity safely. And regardless of ethnicity, economies of scale, um, in, gender, age, what all of, the, all of the stratum that we use to separate and compare, what does it take for us to simply hold humanity? That humanity has safe passage in your thoughts. You know, my sense is that for some of us, it's unfortunate, but we have like border patrols in our mind and heart. And when certain people come across, like, whoa, no, hold it, you, uh uh, not in here, you don't. And I'm just saying, what? It's just in your mind. <laughs> what if that shifted in a way where everyone had safe passage? In your thoughts, that's all we're talking about. I'm not saying give them a key to your house. But in your thoughts, your metaphysical house, that everyone has safe passage. He says if we want to be intelligent and constructive sources of wisdom and peace, we need to empathize with both sides. The problem is selective empathy, he says the false and demonizing narratives driven by selected empathy will need to be dispelled if the human tribe, that's us, we're going to have to let go of that, he's saying, if we're to finally be liberated from all the lies and lying conflicts that have divided us, to face the challenges that threaten all of us. Now look, let me just say right away, so you don't have to email me, <laughs> that I recognize that some of you have studied this, and you have more data than I can probably even comprehend. But I'm not talking about data. I'm talking about heart and mind. I'm talking about the heart mind and our ability to expand our consciousness in such a way that everybody's safe. In our mind, that we can think in a way that we can maybe one day, I'm not saying today, this afternoon, tomorrow morning, although it's possible, for us to open and expand our thinking in such a way Where we wonder even. That might be the first piece. It might just be a bit of wonderment. What if I'm wrong about that? What if? Just, just conjure up. Say with me, what if? I just wanted to make sure we could all say that. Because the assignment would be to engage that part of what if? 
What if it's not exactly? Because who? I'm, you know, just as I am reading the room, we all have a level, except for the youngins, have a level of maturation where we have at least had one experience where we thought it was exactly. I'll testify under oath. I know exactly how that happened. I know exactly when. I know the where. I know the who. I know the what. I know it. And then in time, we're like, ooh. It wasn't the right what or the right who or the right where or the right how. There's not a one of us who hasn't been there. I'm inviting us to invoke what if this is similar to that. See, all I need, I don't need you, and now I'm not in, in fact, I'm insisting, in this assignment, I'm insisting that you not do the research to see, because that's not the point. The point is to put a chink in the armor of your resistance, of your absolute, I can't let that happen, can't let that in, can't let them be. Am I making sense? Anybody have a question for me about this? It's a for real inquiry. It's to, it's to open our mind that is often very closed because we know until we realize we don't. We're like, oh, it's not like that at all. Because, not because, I am textbook introvert. And I have worked to, you know, because I've had a life that required my work and et cetera, just, you know, across decades. So I can do pretty well out in the world. And then I had those years of being sheltered in place. <laughs> and I still have not gotten that straight. Because it fed that, that edict to separate and pull in. And as a single person who lives alone, it meant that I was just layer upon layer, all that I had done in my life so that I wasn't at the effect of being an introvert everywhere always. So much of that feels undone, that it's hard for me, really difficult for me to emerge into the world and be with people. When we first start inviting people back to service, I had no idea how traumatizing that would feel for me. Because I had not been around these many people, period, and those who thought that we should hug. <laughs> and, you know, and in my heart I wanted to. It was just, I don't, some of y'all may never understand this because it's not a thing that you have ever been through or will ever go through. But there's some of you who can identify with what I'm talking about. It was so, I'm, I, I pray that I didn't just look at y'all like, <gasps> because it was scary for me and it caught me off guard. I didn't know to anticipate that that's how I'd feel. And it sometimes felt like people were coming at me like this. <laughs> and I knew it wasn't the true energy. But I was, and so there's so much with that. What I have remembered is that as a young person growing up, if I had money for every time someone circled back around to me once they got to know me, for them to tell me, oh, when I first met you, I thought you were this, that, and the other thing. But now that I know you, I, so because that was my growing up, I just think, oh, they'll figure it out in time. But I don't, I sometimes feel like I'm not so sure we have as much time as may be required in order for us to heal our sense of each other. That sometimes we're just going to have to, to shift in ways that, that set us up for 
for seeing in different, in different ways. Um, you see, there's a real question. Psychologists would say for, that any of us are seeing what we think we see. You know, um, a personal lesson that changed my life. This was probably 1972 at the latest. And I had a little apartment in Berkeley. And when I came home, I realized that my front, I had these little louvered windows here by the front. So they had broken the, wind, the louver, taken them out, and reached in and opened the door knob, unlocked it, and went in. So when I arrived, someone was literally in my house some little boys, maybe there were maybe two of them, I'm going to say, no more than three. And so I was, ah, and out the back window they, they hopped. And when I called the police, um, you know, I'm a Berkeley native, and the police who came, I knew. And um, so they said, well, get in the car, and we're going to, and there was a moment when they were saying, you know, describe and, and that, well, the lesson that my brother police officer taught me was that I didn't know what they looked like. But I was getting ready to identify some people. You, you know what I mean? They was, they was, it could be them. <laughs> and he's like, whoa, pull over. <laughs> Looky here. Me called by name at the time that I was known. He said, this is too risky. This is way too, you, you either know or you don't know. And it's okay if you don't know. Let me tell you the consequence for these youngsters. And I realized I really didn't know. I wanted to know though. And I feel like often we're in that space. We're riding the wave of wanting to know because it, it does something for us energetically. So I want to just give you this little piece, and then I'm somebody get a hook. <laughs> that Yuan Chang Long says concerning our representation of the world, and there's no slide on this because I didn't think I was bringing it, but I just am doing it. He says in most cases, we would like to have an objective view of reality to make accurate judgments based on objective evidence. If we are aware of how desires color our perception, we can take steps toward mentally correcting for the bias. We are all biased. And so every thought that we have about somebody, some place, something is biased and as soon, as soon as we know, I was about to say, oh, I do have it, but I don't. So as, the, the more we practice knowing and honoring our bias, the more empowered we are to correct for it. So he says, concerning the way we relate to others, in particular those who don't share our desires and beliefs, he says, knowing that others could truly be seeing things differently from us, and neither of us is necessary closer to objective reality. I'm talking about now how war happens. We would be better able to empathize with how they act and feel. This is, this is akin to being the bigger person. This is akin to being willing to be more aware. So often, we want them to know. You apologize first. You ought to know the, the, whatever that, but this is taking personal responsibility for your knowing. It's okay that you can know this, even if the folks you're dealing with who disagree are knowing a different structure and way to be, a different a, a, a different pattern of being, a different protocol for being, if that makes sense. So what you're introducing to the, to the mix is a recognition that we see things 
in a different way. We have a different perspective. We believe something different. And it's okay because whatever it is I believe is not likely to be any more right than what you believe. Now, it is on my spectrum. It is in my life because I think this is what happened. And of course, my whole life rolls up to form my current opinion. But you have exactly that same thing going on with you. You got a whole life of experiences that you are bringing to the mix as well. Is this making sense? How did life get to be the way it is? Well, we keep ignoring each other till the point where we want to fight it out. John Pavlovitz has a piece that I'm just excerpting, the one place to stand in the Israel-Palestine Palestine violence. He says the only thing we can do in living nightmares like we're witnessing right now is to mourn the disparate nature of the suffering. He says we should condemn terrorism wherever it shows up. Wherever. We're not picking, not that terrorism, but all terrorism. We should decry brutality where whatever its source. This is women are safe, children are safe, anywhere, everywhere. We should oppose ignorance and intolerance wherever we find it. We should be outraged whenever anyone is silenced or dehumanized or violated, no matter where they reside. This is still that selective empathy that we are transforming, transmuting in this moment. We should see and defend the assailed humanity wherever it struggles to strive or even exist. Above all, we should admit that our minds fail to comprehend all we are seeing. And our hearts fail to contain the scale of the grief. Humanity is our shared tribe. Let us stand with it and fight like hell, he says for it. Centers for Spiritual Living, this is in closing. Centers for Spiritual Living has published a piece that, Deb, if you remind me, we can put it in the, or Pam, somebody remind me that, so we'll put it in the um, Wednesday recap. And this is an excerpt from our CSL, our Centers for Spiritual Living, Heart and Soul is an affiliate center of Centers for Spiritual Living, and this is their communication in part. We can unite in focusing the energy of love to bring peace to Israel and Palestine and to Ukraine and to all areas of the planet where there is no peace through the creation of a spiritual chain reaction. Allow the energies of peace and love and harmony to rise up and become strong. And I say this to anybody who's feeling like that's not enough because that proves you haven't tried. Just having an opinion that that won't work, that we all have to buy arms or we all have to rise up to fight, what means we have not tried first at the level of our belief because it truly is done unto us as we are believing. Peace begins at the center of our own being, where instead of moving to fear, anger, or anxiety, we focus on the greater powers of love, peace, and harmony. Try it. Just for drill, try it. For all of the resistance, try it. We hold space for peace to be realized. We convene peace vigils, prayer calls. We read sacred texts. We are transforming our mind and our being while also engaging in sacred activism. We band together to remind each other that there is an infinite and divine creative force of life that is wholeness and truth. We stay in constant prayer without ceasing to remember that we know rekindle our sometimes dwindling faith and continue to seek the light amid the dark abyss. And then they offer this prayer. And so I invite you to 
be in a consciousness of prayer, a consciousness of transformation, a consciousness of letting go and letting the divine. They offer, we're offering this prayer in comfort and truth as a collective show of peace and faith in the divine presence of love right in the midst of war. There is a power for good in the universe, and it is moving in and through me this day. Let's say this together. There is a power for good in the universe, and it is moving in and through me this day to bring peace, harmony, and good to all. Continue if you choose. The divine is everywhere present, especially and including in all spaces of war, conflict, and violence. We bless all who are impacted conflict of any kind. We lift up peace in the midst of war. Let's say that again. We lift up peace in the midst of war. We pray for healing and comfort where it is needed right now. We believe love. Say that with me. We believe love. In gratitude, we declare this truth collectively, and so it is.